Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Bienvenido a nuestro podcast, Whining About Herstory. Me llamo Emily. Me llamo Kelly. Hola, mucho gusto, mi vidas. <laughs> Clearly, Emily's been learning Spanish. Estoy aprendiendo español. I have been practicing with Guadalupe at the hotel and I can actually like get something out and she uh, knows what I'm trying to say. She's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting a little better. This is amazing. And they Progress. even, yeah, we even had a guest uh, who was uh, Spanish's, her first language. And so she was like trying to ask for stuff in English and I, I heard her speaking Spanish to Guadalupe. And so I was like, oh, you know, mucho gusto, hola, you know, como esta, like, and she's like, oh, ah, like, kind of excited, and I was like, uh, you know. And then they start trying to have a conversation with you, and you're like, I don't know that much Spanish. Okay, thankfully, I'm also, like, the the w- most incompetent-looking white girl ever, so that didn't happen, but I was like, oh, you know, quiero vino blanco, quiero uh, vino tinto, you know, like. So it was like the most basic shit, but I think she appreciated the effort because she most gave me a do. really good tip. Yay, tips. Ba-dum-bum-bum. Oh, speaking of Spanish, uh, what is it? Me, me siento enojada. I am, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling so fucking angry right now. This is how quickly my mood shifts. Um, I'm sure everyone is kind of aware of what's going on in the news. There was a preliminary uh, uh, majority decision draft that was leaked from the Supreme Court about how... uh, They want to overturn Roe versus Wade, which is the women's right to abortion. Yeah. I mean, literally just, hey, it's anyone's right to abortion, but it does, you know... I posted something on Facebook about it, and basically it was basically like, it is between a woman, their family... Their doctor and their, they said their God, but their religion. Yeah. Like, those are the only people that have a say. Yeah. No one else's opinion matters. No one else has any right to say anything. You know what I, like, if I had three genie wishes right now, I would 100% use one to be like, I wish men could get pregnant. Because that shit would change so fast. I like what I've Your I've head seen, would spin. I've seen going around lately is that, you know, if you don't want women getting abortions, just stop getting women pregnant and get a vasectomy. Yeah. Like, why does it have to be our body? Why can't it be yours? Well, and the thing is, people like to throw out all these, um, all these scenarios where it's like, well, this person was irresponsible and they should have known better and blah, blah, blah. It's like, there are... There are two people in the situation of someone getting pregnant. Yeah, but here's why I'm saying, first of all, there are a lot of scenarios in which someone may require an abortion and no one actually wants to get, no one's like, oh God, you know, my first abortion, I'm going to throw a party. No Um, one's like, I'm purposely going to get pregnant so I can have an abortion. I'm going to invite my friends. It's going to be like one of those wedding dress fittings where we all get together and sip champagne. Champagne? What? (laughs) Uh, it's, It's an incredibly personal and emotional thing. And yeah, no one's skipping down to the clinic. Like, right. I don't have to worry about birth control because this is my birth. Cl-. Like, no one's doing that. No, it's- and to be to be perfectly honest, 
from the situation of someone whose pregnancy no longer becomes viable late in their pregnancy, that is heartbreaking. Well, and that is also to, considered abortion. If you exactly. have to go, even like if your baby doesn't survive in your womb and it's like, and your body can't clear it on your own, it is technically a DNC and is considered abortion. Yep. But whether that's the situation or it's like the condom broke or yeah, I just, I got pregnant yeah. from having a year old got raped. Hmm. I mean, I, yes, also. I'm, I'm just saying any situation. No, no, like, no. It doesn't matter. But but what I'm saying is a lot of the, a lot of the like anecdotes people like to throw around is like, oh, someone just had unprotected sex and was being done. I don't care. Then maybe they super shouldn't be having a child. <laughs> like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. It has been really frustrating to watch this push to get that overturned for literally our entire lives. And the the idea that it might happen and right. so many people are going to die. Well, and I will say and this is not necessarily in defense of it. They're not going to say abortion's illegal. They're just going to leave it up to the states. Which would make it illegal in like half of them. Uh apparently 48 states are permissive toward abortion with 42% being against it. So it, Half. It would be yeah. half. Yeah. And then even even there, the states that technically permit it, it's like, what, after six weeks? Or like before six? Uh, like a ridiculous... No, it's 20, 21 weeks. But there are states that are trying to get laws passed where it's like, oh, yeah, if you don't find out you're pregnant, bef- you know, within the first month, nope, too bad. Fuck you. That's dumb. Yeah, no. And the more restrictions you put on something like that, first of all, the less safe that they become. And also, it's the more vulnerable people are going to suffer. The people in the terrible relationship, the people who can't afford to have a child, the people who can't afford to get care. Well, that's really what it is, is it's not going to stop abortion. It's going to stop safe abortion. Yeah, um, I know uh, Governor Walls in Minnesota has said some stuff about making sure that it's still accessible here, and that makes me feel like a little safer right, like on a personal shitty, level. But it's like, well, at least we're um, in a state that's not going to be an asshole. But about I'm it. just, I mean, God, I hope. I'm just going to say, everyone, right now, uh, Minnesota is a great place to go camping, and if you just really get the urge to go on a camping trip, we will you know, help you find a camping-friendly state. Yeah. Yeah, we won't um, tell anyone about it. You can hang out with us in our camping friendly state. Yeah. Um, we'll find you a campground. We'll camp, we'll camp with you. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about it. Your camping trip, if you want, or we will never speak of it again. But we are pro camping. Pro camping. Also, like, I'm just gonna say, pro choice. We we actually yeah. haven't talked about no, this a lot on the podcast. For being a women's history podcast, we really haven't gone on like a rage, rage, fucking rage about this. Um, but. It's your choice. It's your it body. Is. Do whatever the fuck you want. You know, I actually had this amazing discussion with my mom, um, and I never really knew how she felt about the whole right. abortion topic. And, you know, but she's Catholic. I went to a Catholic school. I was like, mm, but my mom's like pretty progressive and like for people's rights. And so it could really go either way. And she told me, she's like, I'd never get one. And I, I think it's really terrible when, when people have to get them. But that's not up to me. Right. I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. You don't have to, like... You don't have to uh, agree with it. Yeah, but you also need to keep your fuck... Like, why is it that 
the same political party that's like government don't fucking tell me what to do with my guns is also like like, but let me tell you what to do with your uterus are you fucking kidding me it's ridiculous guns are a choice my uterus isn't yeah i unless you want me to get taken out but insurance isn't gonna pay for that so fuck right off right jesus christ um Okay, so, the, the, I mean, obviously this was kind of our emotional um, deluge about the situation, but on a uh, action-centric note, please donate to whatever organization uh, serves your state, your community that you prefer. Right. I, I donate. to your representatives, because if it, yeah. if. Sign those does, fucking surveys. If it does get overturned, that's who it's going to, is your state representatives. Mm-hmm. Midterms are coming up, people. Make your voices heard. Also, right. um, like I donate to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have so, several friends that go and help out at their clinics. Yeah, so just it, it it's a it feels like the last I don't know ten years has been kind of this constant stream of I feel helpless. I feel like all these big things are happening and I'm helpless to do anything about it. And while a single one of us isn't going to march into the Supreme Court and be like, hey, guys, come on now. Let's let's be reasonable. Right. And it's going to f- change it. But what we can do is try to make positive change in our immediate sphere. Well, because when that all adds up, that, yep, the more people that the are more impactful it is. Exactly. So, yeah, donate right to your local representatives. Sign sign the surveys. Just do do something, because at the very least you will feel more in control and more like you're you're making a positive impact and just hug your friends close cuz this this situation that's looming over us is not going to be pretty no it's going to affect a lot more people than people realize i know it it is and um the sad thing is that the the narrative seems to be blaming you know, it's like, oh, I mean, well, if you if you need an abortion, is. you're a crappy person and you I don't care what happens to you. So the whole idea right. of like, oh, well, you're going to get rid of safe abortions. I don't care. You know, it, it makes me mad because like when I say my pe- my friends volunteer at these clinics, it's like they're not doctors or nothing like that. They're the people that escort people into the clinic to stop them getting harassed from other people. Exactly. And I'm like the fact that that is still a thing today just makes me so mad. Even in our city, I. I don't drive past it as much as I used to, but every day when I was driving home from work for several years, there was the same dude hanging outside the Planned Parenthood clinic. And for, I mean, I guess fortunately for them, there's a big parking lot and then the clinic and he had to stay on the grassy boulevard. Oh, wow. Okay. Cause sometimes they can just like, be like right in front of the Exactly. Clinic. But he had to stay on the boulevard closer to the street. And he had, it was just one dude with his sign. Every time I saw him, I was like, don't you have anything better to do? What is your life that you are spending your entire day hanging on this grassy boulevard, picketing a Planned Parenthood clinic where people are getting cancer screenings, where people are getting birth control. And yes, where people are taking control of their fucking bodies. That's the other thing that makes me so mad is that you don't know why someone's going into Planned Parenthood. You don't know that they're getting an abortion. You don't know that they're, yeah, not getting a cancer screening. Exactly. And you're going to sit outside this building and scream at them about what a terrible person they are. Okay, let's um let's unpack this. Who's the crappy person in this situation? The grown adult who's like taking time out of their day to scream at strangers or the person going into a medical clinic? Right. 
fuck off. I'm I know. It makes me so mad. Like, I, I love the people that I know that do that, but I'm just like, I would not be able to do it because I'd get fired, like, day two because I would punch one of them in the face. <laughs> Have you seen the, um, there's an episode of Broad City where the open, the, the cold open is the two, the two main girls, and they're doing that. They're escorting people into yeah. a Planned Parenthood clinic, and they've got the, yeah, they the, like, the vests. And hats and everything. And it's it's so funny because they're like puffing on their vape pens the whole time. And they're having a totally normal conversation despite the, you know, people on either side of them screaming and waving signs in their faces. And they they look at the 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 young woman that they're like escorting, like, okay, someone's gonna be in there to help you. Like, you got this. And they're just being very sweet to her. Yeah. And then they turn around to the protesters and they're like, one of them takes an inhale of the vape pen and then blows it in this dude's face. He's, she's like, you have no idea how badly you need this. And the guy blinks and goes, why are we here? <laughs> this is so stupid. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it made me happy. But yeah, seriously, make, make whatever positive impact you can in your immediate sphere. Sign surveys, write to your representatives, uh, do do whatever you can. Let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. Because uh, if this is going down, uh, we're gonna be screaming about it. Yeah, even if it takes going, we're an, not going quietly. even if it takes another fifty fucking years, I'm never gonna stop screaming about it. Right. So this may be an ongoing topic. <sighs> I feel like like feminist anger is our ongoing topic just I mean, being yeah. like are you fucking kidding me with this shit still we're still talking about this we're still arguing about this well, that's what Come i'm saying f- like it makes just, me so mad that people just stand out there and that's what they do with their lives well is harass other people going the, into a women's health clinic there's like, been it's just the dumbest thing there has been a political movement obviously over 50 years but in the last 50 years of trying to overturn roe v wade and it's like, man, I wonder what else we could have done as humanity with that fucking energy. I just, I don't, of all the stupid, like, things to get hung up on, of all the hills to choose to die on, like, why that one? I really wish guys could get pregnant. Can you imagine if it wasn't just also men could get pregnant? Or, excuse me, also people with penises could get pregnant, but... At like Everyone just can. people with penises, yeah, right? like total reversal, po- total paradigm shift. Oh my god, that shit would change so fast. Oh yeah. How, also, okay, this is the last thing I'm going to say, well, no, then, and then I'm going to get off my soapbox. The men box. are going to be too emotional if they're the ones having babies. They don't get to make decisions anymore. No, no. See, here's the thing, and and like I but said, that's, that's this a lot is, of times their excuses is when no, they get pregnant, no. they get hormonal. No, they I know make decisions. But what I'm saying, and this is the last thing I'm going to say. Someone with a uterus has this, like, incredible superpower to host and grow and bring life into the world. Like, that blows my fucking mind that a a living thing can create more life like that. But instead of it being this almost, like, godlike, oh, my God, you're, you're a giver of life. Like, you literally bring new life into the world. It's a weakness. It's like you're being punished for it. Bullshit. Now, if it was reversed, then it would be like, yeah, giving birth up in here. Well, what? Just, Look at know. me do my kegels. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, 
So obviously we are drinking wine today because God knows we need it. And we are specially drinking it out of our fucking patriarchy wine glasses from Wine and Crime, which is an excellent Minnesota-based true crime podcast where they talk to true crime, sip wine, and uh, break out their worst Minnesotan accents. Respect. That are only like half fake. Respect. Respect. Okay, it's funny. Um, I binged them really hard and I realized... Uh, I started to develop a Minnesota accent. You have one anyways. You're nope. Minnesotan. I'm from Illinois, bitch. You've been here long enough. I I will say, I think I I think I'm like, you know how when you convert you to a new religion? Your own accent. No, when you convert to a different religion, like converts are often more devout than people who are born into it because this was an active choice that they made and they had to really work for it. I feel like I'm that way with my Minnesotaisms because I'm like, oof, that's mighty spendy. Like, I'm the only person I know who says I all these Minnesotaisms. I would say I think you say them more than most people I, do I know. Because I find them charming and everyone else is like, God, you sound like my grandmother. <laughs> Don't you disrespect your grandmother now. She makes the best lutefisk this side of the Mississippi. God, Lufus is so disgusting. Oh, uh, it is. Uh, you know, it's funny because it's really only the older generations that eat it anymore because well, the younger generations the are, are like, like this Minnesota is trash. Minnesota and Lutefisk. And I'm like, no, you do realize that like that is a Scandinavian thing. Like that's not something Minnesota started. It's just something our ancestors brought with them. Yeah. We're more Blame um, the Scandinavians. I would say I feel like modern Minnesotans are more into uh what, what what's it called where it's like the tortillas with the butter and the sugar? I mean, I know what that is, but... You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I swear to God, you've made them with your mother-in-law. No. Yeah. No. You know what? I'm. You tell us about our wine. I'm Googling this shit because I'm not going to let you make me think I'm insane and in making this like, up. We've made like krumkaka and stuff, but that's not tortillas with... Like, I know what you're talking about, but I don't think I've ever made it with Lydia. I've made Minnesota sushi with Lydia. I'm sorry, what? That's... <laughs> It's the tortilla, cream cheese, pickle, and ham. Oh, is that what they call it? Minnesota sushi? I thought that was just Super Bowl food. No. Super Bowl slash Thanksgiving appetizers. (laughs) Because that's the only time I ever see them. Who the hell eats that from? What? Yeah. Like when I. No, it's a bridal shower food. Okay. It's also actually a baby shower. You know what? You're right. It is Minnesota. Bridal shower. Yeah. Yeah. Baby bridal. You see how they can happen at the same time. No judgment here. Okay, so today, because we wanted something, Emily wanted something bubbly, but I don't think this is bubbly. It's a little. I shouldn't be drinking. It's not like super carbonated, but um, it's got some nice We wanted some summery. It was real nice out today. It's supposed to be 70 tomorrow. I'm real excited about that. But we're drinking some barefoot fruit scato peach. It says, this deliciously sweet blend is made with rosé wine and natural flavors and bursts with aromas of juicy peaches. Barefoot peach fruscato makes every day a little sweeter. Okay, we have drank this before. Uh, yeah, we I, definitely have. Kelly and I have also drank it like recreationally because it is seriously such a good fucking wine. And actually, this specific bottle I bought for her for her birthday. Yay. Also, it's lefsa. Norwegian potato lefsa. Okay, okay, the tortillas are lefsa. Lefsa is not, like, that is a topping for lefsa, the butter and the cinnamon sugar but that is not what lefsa is literally just the potato pancake thing okay so i'm sorry you put dressing on a salad and all of a sudden it's not a salad anymore no but i 
I, it was, you called it a tortilla. <laughs> First of all, it looks like a tortilla. I'm just saying, you called it a tortilla. And it's then a you potato talk, and then you, and then you talk <laughs> It's about a potita. <laughs> because I actually did, like, growing up, I had a, like, one of my family friends actually would put, like, butter and cinnamon sugar on a tortilla. Yeah. And it was okay. But yeah, yes, I have made lefsa with Lydia. Yes. Yeah. But that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's that's a potato also, tortilla with butter also, and cinnamon sugar. You can also eat it with other things, but yes. Yeah, well, you can it also is, is a potato put different dressings pancake, on your basically. salad, um, but it's still salad. <laughs> um, it doesn't invalidate the lettuce. But yeah, I would, I would say that's that's probably more common for our generation. A hundred percent. Lutefisk, and it actually tastes. That and tater tot hot dish. We're the we're the uh, lefsa and tater tot hot dish generation that's ruining, you know, the the lutefisk industry with our millennial is values. There, is there really an industry for that? <laughs> uh, can you imagine if you're like the last person that actually knows how to make lutefisk and you're like, yeah. And I mean, I, it's here's I, the thing. It, it is essentially pickling fish. Like it can't be that hard. It's. It had a real purpose, though, because before refrigeration, yeah. like, the lye would preserve it. But you know what? It's okay to let things Die. stay in the past. Yeah. You know, yeah. like pre-Roe v. Wade times. It's okay for that to stay in the past and to never come back. And we're back. Anyway, Kelly and I are cheersing today because it's been a kind of a wild ride of a week. It's been a shitty week. We're feeling a lot of feelings right now. And uh, it's going to come out in a lot of unique ways as we talk about a couple of badass babes who did cool stuff in history. Yeah. So here's to the plastic clunky cheer. (laughs) I thought you were coming closer and then you just like sat there and I was like, I'm about to dump wine all over My arm literally only goes this far. Kelly, I have tiny little arms and a big for, head. I'm waiting for you to stop talking and so I'm they not can sure maybe hear this. this. <laughs> okay, okay. I love that movie. I, it's, I just rewatched it. It holds up. It's so good. Okay. Okay, here's the thing. You are pulling your hand back as well, I'm didn't. desperately <laughs> reaching for you. Just, so I don't know what you want from me. Right there. Right there. Okay. No, like a little farther back. Right there. Perfect. Okay. I heard it. There were there were three distinct clunks. Mm-hmm. And it definitely wasn't blunt force trauma onto my head for not shying the fuck up about Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> um, who's going first? Me. Oh, thank God. I looked it up. <laughs> thank God. While we were talking. Thank God. Yeah, apparently Ludafisk is... <laughs> we cannot <laughs> fucking get off stop. Uh, but it is... Part of Christmas tradition in Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Are you guys okay? No. They absolutely well, actually, are not. What I'm curious about is, like, for the modern, like, for, like, our generation, for, like, millennials and younger, is it still, like, a part of your, like, traditions? Well, you know, when you have really great uh, national health care, you can afford to put some weird-ass shit in your body. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, I'm going to talk about my woman now. My cat punctured my hand in my sleep with his little claws, and my hand swelled up and was red all day, and I was like, God, I really hope I don't have to go to the hospital for this. It's better, but I was like, I really hope I don't have to go to the hospital, because I just, I don't think I have the money for it, and it might be cheaper to just not have a hand anymore. (laughs) Although it's not like my insurance is going to pay for my, um, 
That's when you just my like, prosthetic. That's when you just like neospore in the shit out of it. And Actually, just pray that, to God. You know, you know how in my or big whatever, fat Greek wedding, other deity is out there. You know how in my big fat Greek wedding, Windex, Windex. is the answer. That's my me with neosporin. So I slathered my hand in neosporin. It looks a lot and better. Just la- layer some band aids to keep it all in. Oh shit! I didn't do that part. I mean, that at least takes, you did the neosporin. Do you know how expensive band aids are? Expensive. <laughs> <laughs> They're very expensive. Yeah, but those ones suck. No, I don't. They're they band-aids. suck so bad. No, they're not. They're injury adhesive strips. <laughs> I mean, I suppose Band-Aid is a brand name. Yes. Just like... Facial tissues? Not nose, white paper... Facial tissues. Things in a box. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kelly, who are you Are you ready wanting- yet? Yeah, okay. okay. Don't you fucking... Like, are you ready? You're the one no, that was like, I'm going to tell like, a story. Here's about Ludafest. Bef- <laughs> right after that, I was like, I'm ready to talk about my woman. And then you went off on some other tangent about your cat. And then we started talking about Neosporin. Yeah, but you started us on that path. You can't, you can't like dangle candy in front of me and not, not expect me to like want it. How do we go to your cat? Because we were talking about I know. healthcare. You brought that up though. <laughs> yes, because you talked about Ludafest. You started it. <sighs> Okay, anyways. I've lost complete control of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just... Because we haven't drank in so long. I'm feeling very... Just like one glass. I'm feeling... Not even one. I'm feeling so chaotic right now. Actually, pass me the fucking bottle because I already know I'm going to need more. Thank you. (sighs) Kelly needs some caffeine and time to wine. Yes, I'll need some more too so I don't drink it all. Shit. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) It's gonna be like just like a. I was I was seriously gonna like pour the entire bottle into my I glass, know you were. and I, you know what? That's though? why I preemptively was like Emily. I That's want some why more. our friendship works because Kelly can anticipate when I'm gonna be super selfish, but then she can also trust me that like when she's like, "Hey, here are my needs. I'll I'll taper myself back." Hey, you bought this for me. I'll rein myself let me in. Have some. <laughs> Hey, you bought this for my birthday. Please share it with me. <laughs> I also bought you those face masks. So it's not like this is all I got you. And I got you that fake plant that'll never die. That should outlive us. It's plastic. Yay. <laughs> Destroying the earth for what it's worth. Are you ready? Kelly, we're all waiting. <laughs> I asked, are you ready? And then you just stared at me awkwardly. Oh, I didn't hear you. I was just I was just shutting the fuck up oh, for five okay. seconds and you missed your window. So I'm now sorry. we're going to talk. No. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about Beulah Louise Henry. Mucho gusto, Beulah Louise Henry. You just really like saying very good, don't you? Mucho gusto means nice to meet you. If you like something, you say me gusta. Like, me That's gusta... True. Vino. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, mucho gusto means pleasure, apparently. Yeah, but that's what you say when it's nice, like it's pleasure to meet you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm it's, sorry, that's Kelly. so much better than nice to meet you. Jesus it is a, Christ, it Kelly. It is a pleasure to I, meet you. I love how Kelly completely didn't know you, what like, it meant. I was giving you, like, bedroom eyes, and you just missed it. Okay, but I just love how Kelly completely didn't know what it it's meant. It's not that. It's that I got, two things, I got two things mixed up, and but then, then I Googled, Googled <laughs> what it really means. I do like that, though. God damn it. Pleasure to meet you. Estoy aprendiendo español! Anyways, back to Beulah. That we haven't even started. <laughs> We've gotten her name. <laughs> it's okay. a pleasure to meet her. 
our last episode was about as long as our random ranting so far. This, this is, you know, the universe just evens itself <laughs> out. Yeah, we're like 30 minutes in. <laughs> All right. So Beulah was born in Raleigh, North Carolina. She was the daughter of Walter and Beulah. Oh, so she's, she's named after her baby mother. Beulah. Baby. Oh, I hope that's what like they baby called Beluga, her. But baby Beulah. Baby Beulah. Baby Beulah. There you go. Baby Beulah. Anyways. Swimming in the sea with her mommy. You good? Mm-hmm. Okay. So her father was like well known in the art world. He was kind of. I couldn't, I didn't look into him. He was kind of like an art critic. That's literally what he said. He knew art. That's like, was the, how it was worded. I drink wine and I know art. Yeah, exactly. And her mother was an artist. So she comes from a very creative background and she was a very creative child and she was very inquisitive and she was probably getting into everything. Like, this is how I imagine her as a child. She was that kid that just like, you say just don't touch, touch and she was like, child That's accepted. Hot. Touch. <laughs> Uh, she enjoyed painting and music, but her favorite hobby was to point out things that she would see wrong, mention how it, would sh- it should change or the innovations that should be made to improve it. Which, like, granted, as, like, a really young child, that would probably be fucking adorable. Be like, Mama, Mama, that's wrong. And then, like, explaining. But, like, I can only imagine that as she got older, her parents were like, shut up. Yeah, it's just like, okay, Beulah, we it's not get cute it. not cute anymore. You fucking know everything. Mommy's a dumbass. Thank you for pointing it out once right, again. Exactly. So at nine years old, she had already begin began like sketching and like having notebooks of um, different things she wanted to invent. And it is pretty widely accepted these days that Beulah probably had some form of synesthesia, which is um, a mind condition that um, assigns sensory attributes to other senses. So like being able to like colors might have a taste or colors oh. might have a sound. So they're pretty, they're not sure what kind she had, but they're pretty sure she had some t- sight, some type of synesthesia just from like reading her journals and stuff. You know, I bet that the colors don't taste the way you think. Like probably orange not. does not taste like an orange. It probably tastes like grapes. Apparently like four people that are very creative, synesthesia is more common in that group. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still not like super common, but it's more common in those people. Well, I, I almost feel like it's like if you have that condition... You're almost more likely to be creative. I mean, you, you have that other sense of the world that no one else has. Dude, if I can hear colors, I'm going to be so fucking creative. Right? Like, can, can you imagine someone writing music where it's just like a rainbow of colors? Yeah, you and just it's like, like paint no, what you're listening to. I literally hear this. Like, right that would now. be so cool. Um, So, obviously, she was very bright and inventive, um, and she would start tinkering with things at at a young age as well. So she not only was designing things, but then she started like trying to make things better on her own. She did get sent to college, which is great. She got sent to the North Carolina Presbyterian College and then to Elizabeth Co- College in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and by the time she was out of college, she had already started submitting her first patents for her own inventions. Oh my God. The first one she submitted at age 25, which makes me feel like a complete loser. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, here comes the moment where oh. both Kelly and Emily feel completely inadequate because they just spent 30 minutes bitching about Ludafisk <laughs> and other things. Um, but so at age 25, she, her first patent to be submitted and accepted was a vacuum ice cream freezer. Oh my God. Did she invent? 
invent Dippin' Dots? I don't know. I hope so. Um, two other patents would very quickly follow that uh, ice cream freezer within the next year. One for uh, just a different type of handbag that was then was on the market, and the other for an umbrella, particularly, and this became a really big thing. So sh- this is like her first really big famous invention. This was an umbrella that came with a snap-on detachable cloth in a cover so that you could like swap out this cloth to match your outfits. Oh, so you you can swap out the the like covering, the top cover, yep, to match your outfit. So it became like this huge success. Okay, can I just say how is that not come back? I because know. that like we're so into personalizing every little thing. Yeah. I wonder if it's just because like we don't give a shit about umbrellas. Probably like not. we're like, oh my god, I, I wonder. Like it would be interesting to know, like if in certain places that like it does rain a lot, like the Pacific Northwest or New York. Yeah. Um. New York is in the Pacific Northwest, I suppose. <laughs> I to, like, it rains there. I meant like I was, it was. I was thinking Seattle, and then I said New York. But like you know, like the coast where it rains a lot. I wonder if it is a thing still. That sounds amazing. Um, so following this success that she was having, particularly with some with this umbrella, she would move to New York City, which had a large market for umbrellas because it <laughs> rains a lot. That's why you were thinking New yes, York. Yes, exactly. Um, so she would she would live in New York for quite a few years, and she would live in hotel apartments and, like, kind of move from place to place. She didn't really, like, buy a house or anything. Um, she would just kind of lease where she could because she didn't really, like, care necessarily about putting down roots, and she would just continue designing inventions. She would end up selling the rights to her umbrella cover invention thingy she made for about $50,000 in those days, which enabled her to not set up, you know, not buy a house like most women probably would mm-hmm. in those days. Nope. She's like, I'm gonna make my own laboratory and fucking just keep inventing shit. That was like the old timey she shed, right? <laughs> She's like, fuck a house. Um, so she would, she would build a laboratory. She would hire some mechanics and model makers and draftsmen and basically start cranking out her own prototypes of ideas she was having. Um, She would go on to found two companies in the years to follow, the Henry Umbrella and Parasol Company and the B.L. Henry Company of New York. So obviously one was focused on umbrellas (laughs) and the other one was kind of more like the general whatever else she kind of came up with kind of a thing. Throughout the 1920s, she would be on, she would go on to be awarded many new patents, including one for spring-limbed dolls and sponges that held soap in the middle. She also designed a machine that would make the sponges. So she's like, not only do I have this really neat idea, but let me make the thing to make the thing. That is amazing. Also, as far as like mix and match umbrellas, the only thing I can really find is this parasol company in Australia, naturally. But it's more of those like big uh, like deck umbrellas. And you can swap out the canvas on top, which Someone I'm like. needs to get like back on this shit. Uh, honestly, that makes more sense to me nowadays because I could see you wanting to like change that look up yeah, more. Yeah, like on, in your house. Yeah. Um, so eventually she kind of got bored of inventing items per se and turned her attention toward like machines and improving things that already existed. So two of the things that she really applied herself to were sewing machines and typewriters. So this is during like the 1930s and 40s, so th- mm-hmm. those are very 
probably like every household kind of had them things. It's like the 1980s, and she's like, you know what's going to make a comeback? Those fucking typewriters. I right? tell you what. <laughs> um, so the patents she received during this time, at least the big ones, were the double chain stitch sewing machine, which is still a big thing. I didn't look up what it was. I'm sure my mother-in-law could probably tell us. I was going to um, say, she's real big into the uh, textile sewing. arts. Yeah, she is. She's gotten into like leather sewing lately. Oh. Anyways. Um, she also invented a feeding and aligning device for typewriters, which makes me think of like the thing like every typewriter has on the back of it, like ding. <laughs> yeah. She also invi- invented a bobbinless sewing machine, a number of children's toys, and another top typewriter attachment that um, let you be able to duplicate documents without using carbon paper. Oh, so it could make, it could make four duplicates at once. That's pretty like for for the time of typewriters before you had a right? copy that's machine everything was handy. digital. That's pretty amazing, right? Um, by the late 1930s, she had earned herself the nickname of Lady Edison, <gasps> and was basically one of the most famous women inventors of the time. You know what though? Except she actually invented her shit instead of stealing it from other people. Yeah, doing some weird little think tank and taking credit from everyone. Oh. Particularly women that worked under her. <laughs> um, in 1939, she would begin working for the Nicholas Machine Works as an inventor, uh, a position she, which she would ha- hold for quite a few years. She also served as a consultant for many of the companies that manufactured, like, the children's toys and various typewriter implements. Um, like, because she would work for the Bergenthaler Linotype Company, which was a... Um, a typewriter company, and then the International Doll Company, because she made that spring doll. Cool. Which just makes me think of Five Night at Freddy's. Oh, no. Yep, but that's what it makes me think of, because there's a doll called Springtrap, and that's all I I think of now. Did I tell you when I had to talk to a schoolager, because he was describing Five Nights at Freddy's, which, let's all remember, the first game is about child murder. I mean, all the games are about child murder. Yeah, but the first one is, like, centrally based around child murder. Anyway, I mean, technically, all the games are based around you as a night security guard trying not to get your shit scared out of you. Okay. Anyway, but <laughs> God damn it, Kelly. Anyway, uh, yeah, he was explaining like the whole oh, Five Nights no. at Freddy's premise to some kids who were much younger, and I knew this kid's mom, and I knew she would not let him play it if she knew what it was like, or knew he was the playing thing, it. Though, like. There's plushies of it. There is kids' I know. shirts. No, and I'm I like, know. Every time me and Justin like walk through Target, I'm like, what is wrong with people? No, I know. But I knew this kid's mom in particular was not right. going to be cool with that. And I was like, hey, buddy. What would your mom think? Yeah, I was like, do, do I have to tell your mom that you've been playing that game? <gasps> um, um, I was like, let's not talk about that here because we have some young friends who it's not appropriate. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So... Beulah was actually really unique for inventors at her time. Because like, if you think about a lot of inventors, they kind of stuck to one thing. Like Nicholas Tesla, Thomas Edison, they very much stuck to like... Electricity. Electricity and things related to electricity. Murdering elephants. Yeah. If you've noticed, Beulah doesn't really do that. She's kind of like, ooh, this sounds interesting. Ooh, let's do this. Um, and so like she was very unique, not only among like women inventors, but among inventors in general, just because she wasn't sticking to one particular theme. She was all over the place. She yeah, was, she was a, just uh, like, ooh, this this is what's interesting me at this. She's very ADHD, I think. I was going to say, she's like a multi-hyphenate of invention. Yeah. Um, so eventually she did kind of come to focus on one thing, particularly, again, it was a very broad category because she started focusing on inventions to improve the quality of life for products for women. 
So like still suit like because even just like fixing things for a sewing machine technically yeah. improve like you know yeah but, but like, I mean it's like our podcast is pretty broad but we're still focusing we still have on a niche under known women exactly so things things she started inventing inventing kind of once she started focusing on women was a hair curler a vanity case um, and a rubber sponge holder. A rubber sponge holder. Oh, I wonder I if it like doesn't get all makeup, moldy. But yeah, it's, I I don't know if it's for like the sink or for makeup. Yeah, all right. I don't know. All right. Um, Does that sponge have soap in the middle? And yeah, did she right? also invent the machine that makes the sponge? <laughs> no. Um, but again, this is another time when her parasol kind of made like a comeback because mm-hmm. like you know people were like, oh, she's making all these things for women, and then she was kind of like, oh, hey, look, and I made this thing that can match your outfit. You should buy it. Beulah's greatest hits. Exactly. All the classics. Right. And so like that led that like I said, that kind of came back into fashion because it would allow them to swap out the pattern to match their outfit without them buying a new new umbrella. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like back then, yeah, it was Parasols it was were much a big more fucking yeah, deal. It was much more part of the ensemble when like yes. Victorian fashion was still a thing. I think it's interesting how you know, we think of a lot of things as being purely functional and then becoming more fashionable later on. Right. But that was something that was very fashion heavy has become just kind of like super like I, everyone's got the umbrella in the back of their car just right. in case um so another thing she would invent is a different way of stuffing dolls which i it didn't stick around but basically instead of like the traditional heavy stuffing that was traditional in like old school toys she devised like a inflatable lifelike doll with like rubber tubing so it made the dolls like super light but i don't think that's um, or maybe or more, it got ma- repurposed. Two dog toys? Because that's what it makes me think of. Oh, I was, you, you said rubber doll that no, made it ru- super rubber, light. No, rubber tubing within the dolls to make the dolls super light. Oh, okay. Well, I was immediately Not thinking sex of sex toys. I know. Yeah. Um. So those were kind of like her major things, but here's like a small bitching bullet list of other things she, you know, invented. So she invented a continuously attached envelope, which was for mass mailings. Uh, She invented a bag to go with her parasols, like to hold them. She invented something that was literally just called a water sport apparatus. (laughs) I don't know. Oh my God, that's so vague. (laughs) A sealing device for inflatable bodies. Wait, what? I don't know. How is that more specific? But I I can't even imagine. Uh, She invented... A can opener, a du- okay. I know uh, what that is. I know a duplex sound producer and a direct and return mailing envelope. Some of her, some of the favorite quotes I found during researching her were these two. So one, if necessity is the mother of invention, then resourcefulness is the father. Which I like, and then this one, I invent because I cannot help it. New things just thrust themselves at me. <laughs> I really like that one. I love it. Um, so she did receive quite a bit of recognition during her lifetime for her many inventions, which is great because that doesn't always happen. Um, and a lot of the companies that she would work with that I kind of mentioned before, the Mergenthaler Linotype Company and the International Doll Company would put their names on her products for the most part, and she would be able to profit from them and still receive credit. However, um, like, you know, after time, things kind of fell off. Especially if you don't renew your patents, which it never, I never was able to find, like, if that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, She would eventually get inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Um, 
she's also dead. Like, <laughs> I feel like I need, like, she lived to, like, a nice old age and, like, died yeah. naturally. Like, this isn't one of those stories where it was just, like. And then she died. And then she died, and it was terrible, and her life yep. was very unfulfilled. And we're no, really sad. Um, and then some in, man stole her work. <laughs> she died in 1973, so she was, um, oh, my God, math. Um, like, 80-something years old. Okay. So, like, she was, and she kept inventing, like, up until um, she died, basically. Yeah. Um. She never married. She never had any children. Um, her she, inventions were her exactly. children. Exactly. Uh, she was fairly active in other things in her life. She was part of the League of Animals and the Museum of Natural History. Um, and basically just kind of like loved life and just did whatever she wanted to. Um, and like I said, after she died, she was eventually inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's Beulah. Oh, Beulah. Uh, you know what I she like about her really story? really pretty. Like, I Googled her. <laughs> it's a complete, like, like side note. But I, know, she, like, I know we don't like to do this, but she was a snack. <laughs> like, she was actually, like, really good. Like, like and I, I, I actually find it shocking that, like, none of the research I did, like, mentioned that. You know what I mean? You know what I will say for how often a, a woman's appearance becomes a focal point in our stories? It's interesting when it's like, no, she was a hottie and just no one mentioned it. Right? Like, she was, she was actually real good looking. Actually, it was probably because she never married. So exactly. They were like, so they were like, know. it doesn't matter. It's weird. Something's wrong with her. It's weird. Clearly. She's a weirdo. I'm sorry she's not already, like, locked down. That's unattractive to me. <laughs> Can't ask her about her children and I don't what like she them single them. ladies. Yeah, right. What do you mean no one put a ring on it? <laughs> What's wrong with that girl? <laughs> That's kind of how I'm feeling sometimes. I'm like Lady oh, Edison. I'm 31 and That's dang. actually not that You're old. right. It's not here's the here's the funny thing though. It's not that old anymore. Like I feel like it's the not common like, age for marriage these days is actually like 35 or 38 or something. Yeah. So I got married real young. You did. You were basically I a, was baby. a baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay because then we could have like, I don't know. Like I feel like if I ever get married, it's going to be a different experience because I'm going to be older. But your like your wedding, your bridal shower, your bachelorette party was very classic. It was. It was fun though. Like, but but you know what I mean. It was a lot of fun, but it was very like, yeah, we're all a bunch of like twenty somethings looking to party. Oh, yeah. It was a ton. It was a ton of fun. <laughs> Oh, no, I enjoyed it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, today, today I am whining about Curtis Selden, a.k.a. Kitty Cone. Kitty Cone? Kitty Cone. Yep, Meow. so her, her full name is Curtis Selden Cone, but she was known as Kitty. <laughs> Curtis Kitty Cone. Loving it. Curtis is yes. not a very feminine name. You know what? All names are gender neutral if you're not a coward. That's true. I've actually been saying that at work, and now one of my coworkers like will just randomly be like, "Yeah, but everything is this if you're not a coward, right?" I mean, <laughs> technically, yes. <laughs> I'm just i I'm not saying that it's not a girl's name. I'm just saying it is traditionally not a feminine name. I mean, all liquids can be drank at the gym, including vodka, if you're not a fucking coward. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So if Emily falls off a treadmill and breaks her ankle, we all know why. 
No, it's just an orange juice. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it went bad. If you're going to put vodka in your orange juice, make it orange vodka because then you can't smell it. Oh, really? Yes. So there's no like whiff of alcohol? Nope. Or like <laughs> Maybe that... on your breath, but not like in your beverage. It changes once it hits my tongue. It can't lie after that. All right, tell me okay. more about Kitty. So, Curtis Selden Kitty Cone was born on April 7th, 1944 in Champaign, motherfucking Illinois. What's up, hometown represent? That is my hometown. If you couldn't tell by her song. <laughs> yeah, she was also born of the corn. Um, that is my favorite say of like of your sayings. Yep. I actually, um, I, I was on a date and the, the guy was also from Illinois. I was like, oh, you two are born of the corn. <laughs> like, like after I said it, I was like, oh shit, Emily, maybe don't be that weird yet. Or maybe just do. And if someone can't handle it, then they self-eliminate and it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you can't handle this, <laughs> yeah. you can't handle this. Actually, I, so I've had people ask me, like, oh, what's the name of your podcast? And at first I was like, I don't know if I want people no. to know me that way. But now I'm like, hey, if you can't handle my pod Sona, I know. Someone, then you should not be with I me. Asked, someone asked me that today. Someone <laughs> I'm, like, talking to and they were like... What's your podcast? My first response, because my first response to when anyone ever asks me like a question like that, like, what is this? And it's a very specific question. I'm always like, why? What is your alternative <laughs> yeah, exactly. motive? Why? And then I'm like, I thought about it because I said why and they didn't answer because I, I mean, it was during the day they're probably working, but I was bored. And I was like, why does it matter? Like, why mm-hmm. the fuck? Like, okay, if it was someone like from my practicum, I probably wouldn't tell them. Yeah. No offense. Um, Unless I, like, knew them well enough to be like, you're going to be okay with this. But, like, this person, I was like, why? Why Why do I care? So I told them, and then they were like, I'm going to listen to the first episode. And I'm like, the first, like, three episodes are shit. The first two episodes are shit. And they were like, well, at least you don't get worse after, like, 143 episodes. I'm like, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. you know what? Listen to all 144 of them. And And let let us us know. know. I know, and that's why I was like, I was like, well, we started out pretty shit, so there wouldn't have been very far to go down. (laughs) But yeah, I'm definitely like leaning it into into it more, where it's like, yeah, you know what? If you can't handle my pod Sona, then we should not be here. Because here's the thing: at the end of the day, once I get comfortable enough with someone, my pod Sona and my persona are the same exact fucking person. Well, that's they're drunk, they're angry, and they're chaotic. When I was like talking to someone about (laughs) when I was talking to, I think my the person that's going to be one of my practicum advisors. And she was like, you know, like, she was like, well, it's not like a psych podcast. I'm like, no, I'm like, okay, I occasionally talk about like psych women, but I, I don't like talk You're not about giving psych- advice. Exactly. And even if I was, as long as I don't say I'm your psychologist and give you direct advice on your own problems, it's actually technically fine. Yeah. I'm not your doctor. Do not listen to my advice. Um, <laughs> I'm not your, your doctor, doctor, but you should listen to my advice. Um, but basically, you know, they were like, well, you know, it's like as long as you're not like super worried about it. And they're like, actually sometimes it's, it's good for people to see their therapist as a human, a human being that has flaws. And the person was like, yeah, sometimes I actually just like swear to throw my clients off because, (laughs) well, because sometimes that like gets them to open up. It gets them to realize like, Oh shit, you're just another person. Yeah. It, it helps them kind of like lower their, their uh, walls a little bit. Right. And I'm like, I guess what's the worst that happens if a client finds out that I get drunk and swear. If anything, that I like, if I'm interviewing a new therapist, I'm like, okay, so do you ever get drunk and just start cursing up a storm? We're going to get along just fine. Right. Like, obviously, like, not with a client. Yeah. 
Okay, but anyway, see, we're doing the same thing. I'm one sentence in. Uh, so Kitty was born in Champaign, Illinois, and because of this, she may have been born at the Carl Hospital, which was founded in 1933. The only reason I which laughed is because you went Illinois. Illinois. You said that very nasally. Illinois. Is that, I'm like, is that the a, Illinois accent? I'm doing a Jenny Slate thing right now because I'm in love with her. I don't know who that is. Oh my God. Okay. Well, we're going to watch some Marcel, Marcel the Shell after this. No, I'm okay. Yeah, we are. No, I'm okay. Yeah, we are. I'm okay. Anyway. <laughs> So she may have been born at Carl Hospital, which is the same hospital I went to when I broke my leg and when I bowed my arm. Bowing a bone is when you bend it, but don't break it. Took your mama nine months to make it. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, her father, Hutchinson Ingram Cone Jr. Ingram. Yeah, I know. Ingham, actually. Ingham. 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 How many different ways can Emily say one name? <laughs> We're up to like seven. Ten hours later. Uh, so he'd Kelly's been serving. silently snoring in the background. He'd been serving in World War II. Oh. And when the war was over, he moved his family to Florida, where Ooh, he worked Florida. at a law firm. Did However, he Florida man? No. Well, I mean, he was a Florida man. <laughs> um, but I, he didn't like do any of that insane shit? As far as I know, because he basically like re-enlisted back into the army. Because the call of the camo drew him back. Hutchinson's two-decade military career would take him and his family all over the world, including Georgia, Maryland, and Tokyo, Japan. It was funny because you were like, Georgia, Maryland. I'm like, that's not really all over the world, Emily. But then yep. you're like, but then they went to the opposite side of the world. Yeah. Like, okay. L- literally, they traveled all over the U.S. and like one place outside. Yeah. And so it counts. No. <laughs> so Kitty's mother, Molly Mattis Cone, dedicated herself to taking care of Kitty and later her younger brother, George, along with the home. Other than... Sounds uh, pretty traditional. Yeah. And I mean, other than the army brat lifestyle, Kitty had a pretty traditional upbringing. Then when Kitty was 15 years old... Every time you say Kitty, I just want to go meow. I know. Like, if if Arthur ever needs to get a cone for some reason, I'm just going to call him Kitty Cone. Where's your little Kitty Cone? He's trying to kill his mother. Anyway, serious moment. So when Kitty was 15 years old, she was diagnosed with... Muscular dystrophy. Kelly, you cannot be laughing right now. You cannot be fucking laughing. Well, I was pr- I was trying not to laugh from your like Arthur thing. It's not my fault. You go into something sad immediately. Yeah, that that's what we do on this podcast. And then she died. She did not die, but she was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, which Aww, is not terrible. fucking fun. So now it's time for a medical minute. Yay! Muscular dystrophy is a neuromuscular disease that progressively weakens and breaks down the skeletal muscles. Instead of being one condition, muscular dystrophy is actually over like 30 disorders, depending on how they specifically affect the patient. Ooh. So like MS is like the the uh, umbrella yeah. that you can like change the canvas out of <laughs> to match your, yeah. your outfit. And then under that horrible umbrella are like a bunch of specific where it's like oh it's affecting you in this way so you have this so you kind have this of MS. Type of, yep, yep, exactly yep. muscular dystrophy is caused by mutations in the genes that make muscle proteins and the mutation can be inherited or just happen because reasons life the world is a nightmare of chaos and confusion there is no cure for muscular dystrophy though researchers are experimenting with gene therapy and drug treatments 
Other than that, uh, there are treatments that may slow the degradation of the skeletal muscles, but largely treatment just involves managing the symptoms of the disease, which can lead to muscle weakness, respiratory issues, heart problems, and commonly losing the ability to walk. Yeah. Yeah. No, MS is absolutely terrible. I uh, actually, one of the group homes I used to work in, all of the... There, all of the women had mental and physical disabilities, except this one woman, she had MS. And it was basically, you know, her husband couldn't take care of her in their home anymore, so she had to move into this group home. Oh, Yeah. I mean, he came and, like, visited her all the time. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It sucked because she'd, like, talk about, you know, her, like, the, I, think the, I think the thing that was the most hard to cope with about working in that group home is that all of the women living there something just happened to them whether it was a car accident or a stroke like it like it was it like all of them were prime examples of disabilities and equal opportunity employer can literally come for you at any time you know yeah it's yeah yeah so that was that was a fun little reminder (laughs) to take Take pride, or not take pride, be thankful for my functions. So I can't imagine taking this diagnosis at 31, let alone 15. But not only did Kitty receive this heavy diagnosis, but doctors estimated she wouldn't live past 20 years old. So for those of you who are like me and hate math, the 15-year-old girl was given five years to live with a disease that would slowly break down her body. Because when you're given that kind of thing, it's not like, hey, you have five years to do whatever you want, and then you just poof. It's like, no, the next five years are going to be a fucking nightmare, right. and then you're going to die. Yeah, because there are certain diseases that you live with. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God, I can't think of one that I'm thinking of. That, like, a lot of people are like, you have a shortened lifespan, but it doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, like, it's a death sentence, but most people don't live past... Mm-hmm. you know, X number of years. Like, and so, yeah, like, you're like, oh, well, at least I'm going to have X number of good years. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, like MS, you're just like, eh, you're probably just well, going to be in pain for the rest of your life. Well, in MS, like, ob- you know, obviously everyone is, everyone is different with yep. how it affects them, how quickly. Well, and um, how you can manage it. Because there are some people that can live with drugs relatively pain-free and have a, yep. like, a pretty normal life for a good chunk of their life. Yeah, but in Kitty's case, she's a teenage girl that's exactly. been given five. Like, she's not even going to live to be old enough to drink. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, back then you might be able to. Maybe it was 18. That's only, like, two good drinking years. <laughs> anyway. So, Kitty traveled, uh, or, I'm sorry. Totally skipped a paragraph. So, friendly reminder that disability can affect anyone at any time. This is why we should care about accessibility because you sure as hell are going to care if it's you and after it becomes an issue for you. Also, there's this little thing called empathy and caring about others. So, maybe get your head out of your ass and worry about accessibility now before you have to. Anyway, Kitty traveled around the country to receive medical help, but the treatments and surgeries she got only seemed to make things worse, which is just a super, super fun mental blow when you're coping with a serious condition and the people who are supposed to help you are, like, hurting you. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, In one source, it 
it said that she was initially misdiagnosed with cerebral palsy and or polio, but the citation link to that was broken, so I couldn't tell if it was, you know, true uh, or if that was why she was having so many trouble with the treatments because they were trying to treat the wrong thing. But basically, she was just having a rough go of it. Kitty's condition worsened. Uh, she had walking casts to stretch out her tendons and then later needed a cane to walk. As her family continued to move around, Kitty was constantly confronted with inaccessible spaces, including her own schools. Because school doesn't suck bad enough when you're a fucking teenager. So while attending school in Washington, D.C., Kitty struggled to climb the many, many flights of stairs from one floor to the next, like just getting to her classes. There was no elevator. Like, I remember uh, my middle school uh, was four stories, and they had elevators on both ends of the school, which came in handy when I was on crutches, and then my high school also had elevators. Otherwise, I would have been so fucked. And I was just on crutches, like, temporarily for injuries, you know? Like, this is, this is her life. That's, so her cousins, who were also students at the school, resorted to carrying Kitty up and down the stairs to her classes. Now, don't get me wrong. They got, like, the most de- defined calves imaginable, but they shouldn't have had to do that. As precious as that is, how depressing is it that other students have to carry this girl to class? Like, and would they have even done this if they weren't her cousins? You know, it's it's like, right, what, what like, if you don't have friends or other classmates who are willing to, because these are other children. This isn't the teachers. This isn't the principal. This isn't even her parents. These are other students who are like, that's super fucked up that you can't get up the stairs. Let me help you out. So Kitty's travels exposed her to another ugly side of society, racism. Hmm. You thought we weren't going to talk about it today. Well, we are. So while living in Kentucky, Kitty was shocked that her school was segregated and by the overt racism that seemed to be completely normal. Was she a white kid? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Kitty was Kitty was white. But yeah, so she she like goes to Kentucky. She's like, the fuck is this what is alternative wrong hellscape? With you Kitty was having none of that bullshit and became involved in civil rights activity. She's like, Mm-mm, shut that shit down. I have my problems, but uh, I got time to fight this bullshit. While I admire Kitty for trying to do something about the issues in Kentucky, it wasn't a great experience. Like she just really was not doing well there for probably a lot of obvious reasons. Uh, And she transferred to Mount Vernon Seminary Boarding School in Washington, D.C. So while there, she actually excelled, had plenty of friends, and was was a very popular kid. She was kind of that kid that you're like, I kind of want to hate you, but you're really nice and intelligent and cool, and I just really don't have a reason other than my own jealousy. Um, (laughs) the, uh, The weird thing about that was, though, uh, it was not like a, a sanctuary. Like it was, you know, even though she was doing well and the other kids liked her, there was one super important person that decided to take Kitty down. So by this time, Kitty was walking with a cane and her disability was oh. highly visible. And the school's headmistress, being the devoted educator she was, began bullying a literal child and forcibly segregating Kitty from other students by imposing rules that only applied to her. 
Why? Is it like, oh, other kids are going to catch her dick? Oh, that makes me so mad. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's remember the students are being super chill. The, the, the children, but the the teachers are fine. But the the, like one headmistress is like, no, you're different. Fuck you. The grown ass lady who is running the school is like, I'm not having this disabled kid hanging out. So some of these rules include forcing Kitty to bathe in a separate tub than her roommates outside of their suite. So this was boarding school. So it's kind of like the girls would live in these suites where they all had their own rooms in like a common area. Kind of like yeah, uh, South Fork like, suites. That's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So she wasn't allowed to use the same tub as them for some stupid reason. Um, not only was this super embarrassing and unnecessary, but the separate tub that the headmistress was making her use was too big and Kitty couldn't even get out of it. You can so drown in three inches she, of water. She basically had to have someone else there with her. Otherwise she was going to get stuck. Exactly. Like she would just sit in there forever because Kitty is fucking awesome and just does not have the time for this bullshit. She basically said, fuck it and use the same tub as her roommates anyway. So, like, I'm just imagining the headmistress is seeing her in the hallways, like, why don't you look filthy yet? <laughs> why have you not drowned in your fucking yeah. bathtub, bitch? Fuck. So, she was also prohibited from attending certain school events, but she again approached the situation with a fuck this shit attitude and went anyway. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? Her blatant rebellion, which is basically her just living her life like any other student, led to the headmistress expelling her. Really? As Kitty recalled, quote, for a variety of reasons, the headmistress threw me out, but all having to do with disability. I think she was worried about liability looking back on it because she gave me these prohibitions. So basically, the headmistress saw Kitty as this liability because she was disabled and was kind of trying to force her out. Through this, through this uh, campaign of bullying and yeah, exclusion. Yeah, that's just so gross. Because then, God forbid, Kitty does exactly what all the other students are doing, and then the headmistress has a has the opportunity to get rid of her. Like, oh no, she's not listening, so I'm going to expel her. And this is called discrimination, and like it's called ableism, actually. It's ableism and, and discrimination. <laughs> like, bitch, you are an adult educator and you went out of your way to bully, exclude, and like, conspire so against gross. a teenage student with a disability because either you're just fucking awful or you're afraid she's a re- liability. Fuck right off. And, like, I don't know, the part that I think is the scariest about this situation is that I doubt the teacher was just like, a monster who was like, hmm, how am I going to, you know, destroy a disabled girl's self-esteem today? Or like a girl, with, excuse me, a girl with a disability's self-esteem today. How, like, she wasn't twirling her little mustache, you, you know, sure? plotting. I mean, maybe, I don't know. But her actions were probably seen as totally reasonable. And she was protect- protected by a society that did not give a shit. Because there were no laws to protect Kitty from a woman like her who was also a lot of people. So nowadays, this sounds true of evil, but at the time, basic civil rights weren't guaranteed to people with disabilities. You could be refused service if you had a wheelchair. There was little assistance for people who are blind or deaf. And as Kitty learned firsthand, education wasn't guaranteed. Because there were no protections, people could basically do whatever they wanted when it came to people with disabilities. This was partly because people with disabilities were historically segregated and isolated from the rest of society, and they may have been even institutionalized or even just, like, isolated because of the rampant lack of accessibility. 
speaking of group homes, there was another one I worked in uh, where one of the clients uh, had autism and he was, he was like in his sixties and he was incredibly private and like he would just hang out in his room all the time because that's how he grew up. His parents literally didn't know how to deal with him. So he left the house to go to school went home, did chores, and then just sat in his room. And that's, really? like, all he knew how to do anymore. Because they didn't, there there was no help, or there was no support. So they were like, mm, you're not acting the way we think you should, so we're just going to hide you away in your room when you're not at school or doing chores. So. Mm, I don't like that. I know, it's, it's super sad. So now that I've sufficiently bummed everyone out... Let's travel back to my hometown, land of the corn. So Kitty returned to Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, Twin City, to attend the University of Illinois, where my dad used to work. So by this time, Kitty was using a wheelchair to get around and had to teach herself how to navigate in her day-to-day life while using it because there were no classes to teach wheelchair users how to, like, get around obstacles or, like, use them. So yeah, she had to learn all the cool tricks on her own. So not that any of this slowed Kitty down, though. She was on the student senate. She was a cheerleader. Go, orange and blue. She even had the chance to interview Roger Ebert. Like the Roger Ebert? The famous film critic Roger Ebert. Ever heard of him? And she was the editor of the school paper, The Daily Illini. So Kitty was an active member of the NAACP. Organized activism around protesting the Vietnam War, protecting civil rights, and fighting poverty. So she's like, again, she's that student where you're like, wow, you are just really cool. And any animosity I have towards you is really just a reflection of my own shortcomings and my insecurities about them. So while she was still a college freshman, Kitty's mother, Molly, died of cancer. Oh, no. Yep. Yeah. So this isn't one of those stories, and then she died. This is one of those stories, and then her mom died. And this must have come. Okay, it gets sadder, though. This must have come to quite as quite a shock to Kitty because she didn't even know her mom had cancer. Allegedly, Molly's cancer had been misdiagnosed as everyone's favorite explanation nerves or hysteria or whatever we're calling feminine ailments these days so excuse me while we hang our heads with a complete lack of surprise so after her first semester kitty went back to help out at home and with her little brother and she wouldn't return until the following year how how much does that suck like she's killing it at school her poor mother dies and she has to take off a year to like take care of her family when she's the one that's like, ne- like needing people, like no one, no one's giving a shit about her, but she has to, and I'm not like blaming her parents, but just that seems to be the theme of her life. Like the doctors can't or won't help her. The teachers, like the school administrators won't help her or hinder her. And then this horrible tragedy happens and she's the one that has to step up and be like, yeah. I'm going to be the helper. I'm going to fucking do something about it. And that's what's really cool about her because in all these situations, she's like, yeah, but what am I going to do about it? Like, she's very take charge. So, you know how we're always talking about how uh, intersectional feminism is so goddamn important? Here's a great example of why. 
So campus life was becoming increasingly difficult for Kitty. As the muscular dystrophy progressed, Kitty became weaker and petitioned Mm. the dean to allow her to live in an off-campus apartment. So this was because she wanted the opportunity to live alone you know, independently before she was unable to. Uh, She also said that the sexist dormitory curfew, which was only imposed on women, was unreasonable because she was so active in other school activities and the community that she couldn't make the curfew. So basically they had this rule that like all the girl female students had to be back in their dorms by a certain time. She's like, yeah, but I'm out there doing the damn thing and I can't just sprint back to my fucking dorm. So this isn't working for me assholes uh but if she had an off-campus apartment the dormitory curfew wouldn't apply to her and she would get to be more independent so like it was just a much better situation for her uh the dean passed kitty off to her program head who had a simple and all too familiar reply to kitty's request the reason kitty's body was getting weaker wasn't from a diagnosed genetic condition but rather from all of her rabble-rousing civil rights activities like protesting and he accused her of only wanting an off-campus apartment so she could fuck. You only want an off-campus apartment so, so you, you can, like, have a bunch of sex. Duh. Like, because you're obviously, like, a liberal feminist slut. Jesus Christ. So in one fell swoop, we have sexism, ableism, slut-shaming, and racism. Yay! Yay! My God. How often do we get the... Quadfecta. <laughs> Again, this kind of response was shielded by the university's overall stance on students with disabilities, which was don't complain, don't ask for help, and keep up. Otherwise, you'll be thought of as weak and unemployable. So basically, it, the onus was on students with disabilities to overcompensate to with with without any assistance otherwise they'd be seen as like too much hassle for anyone to ever give them a job or they'd be seen as too weak right it's like i'm sorry using an elevator to get up a bunch of flights of stairs to get to your fucking class i don't think that's weak i think that's just basic right like some people need that it's fine dude i have used an elevator when i don't even have to because i'm just like fuck stairs (laughs) and i'm very employable so the situation became totally untenable Kitty left the U of I just six hours shy of her degree. That's really sad. And before anyone starts bitching that she should have just like stuck it out or how it couldn't have been that bad, let's remember that this is an excellent student who is involved in all these extracurricular activities, who has been forced out of schools for her disability before, and... I don't know. After everything she's put up with, like, if the situation wasn't completely unbearable, do you really think she would have left? She would have stayed, but it was unbearable. Like, I don't know. That's just really sad. Because, again, she's kind of being robbed of her education. Do better, U of I. I hope they're doing better. So while all of this was going on, Kitty was also struggling with alcoholism. So while oh, alcohol, no. I know, I, I swear like to one God. one thing after the other. But I suppose like if when you're in that much pain. I, so I swear to God, this gets better, but it like the hits kind of keep coming for a while. So while alcohol is, Jesus, <clears throat> apparently when you're drinking, when you're drinking wine, that's a difficult word to pronounce. So while alcoholism can affect anyone and can have genetic and environmental components to it, I can't help but think back on just 
everything <laughs> we've tender, talked about yeah. up to this time. Like, as a teenager, she's given five years to live. She was discriminated against by educators. Educa- educators. It's, it's because they weren't, like, actual educators because they were pieces of shit. Um, who were supposed to protect her. She underwent treatments and surgeries that made her condition worse. She was denied independence because schools and the greater world around her was inaccessible or, like, slut-shamed her. And then her mother died from cancer because doctors were like, you're just nervous. And I'm, I th- this is me, just me, like, editorializing, but... This this woman is taking care of two children. She's moving all over the place because her husband's in the military. One of her children has a, has a disability. I'm sure she went to the doctor, and the second they found out that kind of stuff, they were like, yeah, you're just stressed. Well, yeah, but cancer doesn't care if you're, like, super relaxed or stressed. No. Okay? Like, Fuck right not, off. That's not what determines anything. But you know, she there were all these environmental things where they were able to just write it off. Like, no, you're just nervous and that's why you feel sick all the time. It's definitely not cancer. Except it is. Uh, that I like sorry, that little no, detail it's, it's just like nerves. that it's little detail cancer. really yeah, that just, pissed me ugh. off. So Kitty never ceases to amaze me though, because she actually quit drinking in the 1970s. So she got could she tackled her alcoholism and got sober, which is amazing. So after leaving the U of I, Kitty would move around to New York, Chicago, and Atlanta before settling in Oakland, California. And in each city, she kind of like continued her activism. So like wherever she landed, she's like, okay, how are we going to make shit better here? When she arrived in Oakland, California in 1974, she found the Center for Independent Living, which advocated for equality for individuals with disabilities and encouraged independence which she's like shit i've been trying to get that my whole fucking life and no one will give it to me thank you right (laughs) so this was right up kitty's alley so she met up with ed roberts the heavy hitter a heavy hitter excuse me in disability activism who has been called the father of the independent living movement and she got a job there and like This, I thought this was really cool, so I included it. So just a little insight into Ed's experience. When he was 14 years old, he contracted polio just before, just two years before the vaccine was made available, which is just sad. Vaccinate your kids. The polio left Ed paralyzed from the neck down, except for two fingers on one hand and a few toes. Ed began going to school via phone because they didn't have Zoom back then. Until his mother made him go in person at least once a week. His mom's like, get the fuck out of that. <laughs> no, right. she she was she she was awesome. She was doing kind of that like, hey, I'm not gonna let you sit around this house for the rest of your life and just feel crappy about this. You need to go to school in person once a week. So this forced him to confront the anxiety he had surrounding his disability. And it completely changed his self-perception from, quote, helpless cripple to, quote, star. And those are his words, not mine. I don't like to throw around the word cripple. Um, He gave his mom credit for forcing him to learn how to fight for what he needed. Which I'm like, that's such a, like, I don't know, that's it reminds me of um, Unbreakable, where Glass's mom, Mr. Glass's mom, uh, when he's a little boy, puts comic books out on the park bench across the street from their apartment just to get him to go outside every now and then. 
And it's kind of like one of those covert, like, ninja mom moves. Like Ninja Is it like the opposite of a helicopter mom? Yeah, where it's just like, I'm doing what's best for you, and you don't even fucking know it. Ninja mom! Imparting values without even knowing it. So Ed saw value in Kitty's political organization experience and hired her to work in with the community affairs department. So here she lobbied for health and welfare, organized political efforts locally and across the state and nationally. And she worked to eliminate barriers to access in buildings and on transportation. So as part of her work, she organized a coalition that led the charge on getting ramps and curb cuts installed throughout the city. Just stop to think. Everyone, I just want everyone to stop to think for like two seconds. We are so used to seeing curb cuts and ramps that we don't even give it a second thought. But someone had to fight for that. And for the majority of our country's existence, we didn't have that shit. (laughs) Like, can you imagine? So one of Kitty's most notable protests was the 504 sit-in for which she was the lead organizer and strategist. So here's a little history minute. In 1973, the Rehabilitation Act was passed, which extended and revised federal support and responsibilities and research into supporting those with severe disabilities. And that's like a super basic overview, but we... Uh, No one wants me to read the whole thing out. So for our purposes, we're going to focus on Section 504 of the Rehab Act. So this section created and extended civil rights to people with disabilities and provided opportunities in education and employment. Specifically, it stated, quote, no otherwise qualified handicapped individual in the United States shall solely on the basis of his handicap thank you for the gendered language, 1970s, be excluded from the participation, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Mic drop. Legislative mic drop. So the Rehab Act of 1973 was like, it was the most important piece of disability rights legislation before the Americans with Disability Act of 1990, which is also a huge deal. But this was like a landmark piece of legislation. However, there were gaps. And um, there was also an overall lack of enforcement. So it was like, hey, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to call your mom. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And the mom was never called. Like, just, you need to make people follow the rules. Because there were no regulations published with the act, there was nothing in place to force institutions to actually follow it or even like directions on what they should do. So it wasn't even just that people were being like, fuck that. But they're like, how do we do this? Like, how do we ensure this? Because we've been doing it, you know, the ableist way for so long. and It's ingrained in our society. How do we even do it the right way? Disability advocacy groups presented a federal lawsuit and a judge determined that regulations needed to be put in place. So they're like, um, I think you missed a part and we're going to sue you. And the judge was like, yeah, fix that shit. So the American Coalition of Citizens with Disabilities or the ACCD, and I'm definitely not going to call them ACDC at all throughout this recording, was formed just to make sure that this shit got done. After some foot dragging and some old fashioned bureaucracy, blah, 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 the regulations were ready to be signed by U.S. Secretary of Health Joseph Califano. Then someone decided they needed like a task force to review the regulations. 
even though it was all like ready to go and just needed to be signed. And someone was like, wait, let's like look at it one more time. Uh, there were no people with disabilities represented on the task force and they actually weakened the res- the regulations. So basically this was like, mm, I don't know, this is giving like people with disabilities too many rights. Let's come with a task force and just kind of, um, oh God, what do they call it? Nerf. Yeah. They like nerf the regulations. So understandably, the ACCD, not ACDC, was none too happy and demanded the original draft of the regulations be signed into law by April 4th, 1977, or there would be fucking consequences. Secretary Califano didn't comply because he was a stubborn SOB. The day after the deadline had passed, on April 5th, 1977, the 504 sit-in began. Disability advocates staged sit-ins in federal buildings all across the country, including in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Denver, L.A., New York City, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Get your tickets now at the Honda Center. (laughs) At the Honda Center. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, you know, it's like at the Target Center. I don't know. It just seemed like a tour schedule. Okay, sure. Yeah. Don't you get my joke? I do. Let me explain it more. That'll make it more funny. (laughs) So the most successful sit-in was in San Francisco, which Kitty Cone was participating in. No surprise there. Over 150 people occupied the office of the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. In This particular sit-in lasted for 28 goddamn days, making it the longest sit-in at a federal building in U.S. history. What's up? So old Kitty was at the sit-in. This part blows my mind. This just shows, like, Kitty has no... She has no fucks to give. She has no fucks to give. So she's like, well, if I'm sitting in this federal building, I might as well like multitask. So she asked for the FBI for their file on her. (laughs) Because remember, she's been involved in like civil rights shit. Yeah, exactly. Like they definitely have. She was in college. And she's like, I know. I don't know if she like knew they had a file on her or were just like, I bet they have a file on me. Like, this is a long shot, but hey, can I see that file? Yeah. uh, And she found out that she was actually on FBI watch list. Yeah. Kitty's the lady that we need to be keeping tabs on. We're on FBI watch list. Oh my God. Hopefully we still get to Texas. I mean, we're doing a history thing. We're history people. Come on. Actually, like, we're the ones that are getting our asses kicked in the reenactments. Yeah, we are. It's going to be fun. So this was the age of cell phones. So you know she, or sorry, I, you know how to mess up a joke? Completely misread your notes. Good. If this was the age of cell phones, you know she would have taken, like, a peace sign selfie with that shit. If I got my hands... On my FBI file while I was at a sit-in in a federal building, I would definitely take a selfie. <laughs> right, like... But first, let, let me, me take, take a, a selfie. selfie. <laughs> so Secretary Califano finally signed the original regulations on April 28th, 1977, which I wrote as 2977. He's He'll get to it in like 900 years. Don't worry about it. 
So this was a great victory, but obviously work was not done. Kitty continued to advocate for disability rights and organized protests, focusing particularly on transportation accessibility. And this included participating in a protest at the San Francisco City Hall in 1987, while the public transit conference was taking place. She worked at the World Institute on Disability and for the Disability Rights Education Defense Fund. And it was through her advocacy work that Kitty met her partner, fellow activist Kathy Martinez. I told you this gets better. Yeah, it does. It does. Like now she's like kicking ass and falling in love and shit. So I couldn't find a ton of information about Kathy or, you know, their relationship together, but they were really committed to each other. And though they were unable to marry because same-sex marriage would still be illegal until like 2015, which is stupid fucking bullshit. Anyway... Kitty wanted to have a child with Kathy, but was an but wasn't able to die. Breathe. Okay, guy, we're we're almost done. I swear to God, we're almost done. Um, she couldn't adopt in the United States because same sex relationships were like a no no. And I imagine this was uh, also partially because of her disability status, because people with disabilities still have a hard time adopting which is bullshit. Kitty was actually unable to have a child of her own, not because of her disability, though. When she was younger, as she says, quote, I had been thoroughly convinced by the doctor in Chicago that if I had a child, I was going to be bedridden, that it was an immoral thing to consider, and so on and so forth. So Kitty underwent voluntary sterilization. Because a doctor told her that because she had a disability, it would be immoral for her to have a child. Let's all just let that that's bullshit sink That's what she in. thought? No, that's what the doctor told that's her. disgusting. The doctor convinced her of that. And at the time, the decision made sense. But as Kitty would later say, quote, I think that may very well have been bad information. Which is the nice way of saying, I think that doctor was ableisting all over me that's and being a piece of shit dis- like that's just disgusting you can tell that kitty is involved in politics because she's like that may very well have been bad information like right. what a nice that's way to say bad that. advice yeah as she goes on to say i think what was going on with the doctor in chicago with whom i discussed it was his fear that i would have a child with muscular dystrophy or that i would be laid up and that i would become too weak but probably more than anything that i wouldn't be a good parent because of the disability yeah so kitty and kathy instead moved to mexico in 1981 where they adopted their son jorge él es muy bonito y hermoso he's very cute and handsome okay i knew the first part yeah so kitty retired in 1999 but remained an active activist yeah kitty Cohn contracted pancreatic cancer and died on march 21st 2015 in berkeley california just two weeks before she turned 71 Still, though, she blew the doctor's original estimates of five years out of the water. And I hope she took a moment like every day and just kind of like looked up at this guy. She's like, hey, docs, go fuck yourselves. (laughs) You know, like, can you imagine if you're having a bad day? It's like, yeah, but people who went to medical school thought I'd be dead by now. So fuck it. (laughs) So legacy. 
Kitty's legacy lives on in present-day disability rights activists, in the legislation she lobbied for, in increased, and the increased accessibility that she fought for. But I want to end this with a quote from Kitty. And this is a long one, but I want her to be able to tell us about herself in her own words, especially in terms of her disability. Because so often, you know, you have like the inspiration porn where it's like, oh my God, that person got their own mail and like you shouldn't feel bad about anything. Like there's being grateful for what you have, but there's also like exploiting someone with a disability for like your own pleasure it's so anyway I I want to end this in Kitty's own words because there's this really extensive interview uh and I'll I'll share the link on our Facebook but it's it's amazing so Kitty says you know I actually have three disabilities I'm a recovering alcoholic and I have multiple chemical sensitivities which I don't talk about those very much but I if someone came to me and said you can have the cure I would probably say what I'd really like is a lot of money so that I can have someone drive me anytime I want to get driven or I can afford to go places and have enough attended attendant care. Whether it's going to the beach and have a really strong attendant that could get me out on the beach or whatever. Rather than I would want to be able to go for a walk on the beach because my whole identity is a person with a disability. My entire history, everything in my life from where I live to who my child is to the people I know and love, everything, my entire course in this life was profoundly affected by having a disability. The school, the university I went to, the fact that I moved to the Bay Area because of its good climate, it all had to do with my disability. So I'm thankful for my disability. I feel like the constraints and the choices that it has given me have made me who I am. And, you know, I like who I am. My disability is such a, it is so much everything I do is impacted by my disability. And sometimes I think that I'm very unusual because I came from such a privileged background. I came from a family that was totally, my immediate family was totally dysfunctional, but my larger family (laughs) I, I just kind of love that. She's like, yeah, my family was dysfunctional. But my larger family was so nurturing and so warm and dealt so well with my disability, just absolutely incorporated it into how everybody functioned and that I had the material resources to do a lot more than very many people probably is one of the reasons why I don't find it to be something that just absolutely constricts me. Like some way, somebody who's living on social security insurance and has really lousy attendant care and can't afford to get out and be in the world. And the reason I love that quote is because not only is she accepting of like her life, her choice, she's like, hey, I wouldn't be living the life I am right now if it weren't for my disability and I like my life, but also let me acknowledge my privilege. And it's not like everyone should be grateful for their disability because I also had the resources and the support to live a really like great fulfilled life. And that is the story of Kitty Cohn, the gal that sat for our rights. Yeah, that's amazing. And for I her just, own fucking rights. Like yeah. fuck everybody that tried to like be like, no, you can't do anything. And you know what I think is interesting? It's like all she, all she wanted, like she she was out there doing her own thing. She wanted to be independent, 
And we, we get this narrative a lot where it's like, people want it handed to you. It's like, actually, she just wanted the tools to be able to do it herself. Like, we all need a little help here and there. We all need a little bit of an accommodation to get through life because we're all different. We all have different shit going on. And how dare you, how dare anyone be like, no, just suck it up or you're going to seem weak. Like, fuck right off. You can get hit by a bus tomorrow and be in the same position. Right. Fuck right off. But yeah, Kitty, the thing I loved about Kitty is like, she went through some shit, but she just, she had no time for it. She's like, no, I'm going to do something about it. And I'm also going to do something about this, that, and the other thing, because fuck this bullshit. And I feel like we kind of need that energy today. We do. Yeah. We are very, we very much embody the fuck this bullshit mentality today. What are we going to do about it? All right. Well, Kelly, what are you thankful for? What am I? I'm thankful. I was thinking about this earlier and I, I'm thankful for the ability to be able to be in grad school and like have that opportunity and I don't know, just be in the place I am. I'm just really grateful for really all the privileges that have been afforded to me and I'm really thankful and yeah. All right. Well, my thankful moment's going to be a little more selfish. I, uh, I saw my ex for like only the second time since we broke up today because him and his dad came by to get some more of his stuff. And I was very anxious about it because the last time I saw him, it was very emotional and I had a little bit of a mental breakdown after which was super fun. Um, but it went, oh, sorry, I got a burp. First of all, I had a friend who was able to like be there with me. So not only did I have the emotional support, but also someone to like help me move stuff. But also it went really well. He's in a much better place. He's taking care of himself and I'm really happy to see that. But I don't know, it, it makes me feel good to know he's doing better, but also that I have people who are like, oh shit, yeah, you need me there. Or you need someone that, yeah, no problem. What time? Just tell right. me what time. So again, it's kind of like girl gang assemble energy where like, I know I have people who are there for me, but seeing them actually be there for me is like a really good feeling. And knowing I have like, I have a pretty deep bench of awesome people in my life and that's fantastic. So yeah, I hope you have, I hope you have people like that. And if you don't, Honey, we'll take you camping. No big deal. Right. We'll be your girl gang. Yeah. We'll be your, we are a girl gang. All of us. Right, we are. Irrespective of gender you <laughs> or genitals. You are part of gang. <laughs> Embrace it. Yes. We are the Gulabi gang of the U.S. <laughs> the fighting girlfriends. The fighting girlfriends. What's up? Night witches. All right. We are the funerary cult. We are the funerary cult. Fear us. We are the auxiliaries. (laughs) (laughs) We actually. So so we're going we're going to Texas soon to meet up with our podcast bestie Kina, and on the volunteer list, we're listed as Kina's two auxiliaries instead of our names, Mm -hmm. which I'm like. I kind of love that. Now I want to get a patch that just says like auxiliary number one, auxiliary number two to put on right. our badass girl gang jacket. So that would be so much fun. Uh, I might have to like, I might have to do that. I might have to make that some merch. Anyway, 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can email us or find some merch. There's a merch tab. We got some pretty sweet merch. You can also join our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Also raise five stars wherever you listen, which includes Spotify. Yeah. Thank you for everyone who has. Yeah, no, we fucking love y'all. Like, I don't know. It, it I haven't always, looked recently, but last time I looked, we were at five stars. And it, I was like, I love you, people. I don't know. It still kind of blows my mind that people actually listen to us. Because oh, yeah. so so often I think I'm really well, just talking not to you. Only <laughs> does it blow my mind that pe- 21 people have rated us and we have five stars. Um, I'm not going to rate ourselves five stars. That feels a little cheaty. Um, But, like, it doesn't, like... Okay, yes. Like, it's great that people listen, but, like, people are going to find us. It's the internet. Yeah. What amazes me is that people stick around. And at least 21 of you think we have a five-star show. Yes. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. As always, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Me amo Emily. Me amo Kelly. Adios! Adios! Oh, have an empowered day. I don't know how to say that in Espanol. Bye! Adios!